Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Now maybe you would not believe this. If it uh, came from, you know, an angry, dissenting kind of publication from a certain political direction. But this is coming from a trade magazine in the food industry. And I'm going to read it for you. It's from fooddive.com. About PepsiCo dealing with inflation. Even a giant like PepsiCo is treading carefully when it comes to the current instability sweeping the economy. While consumers have generally accepted higher prices, PepsiCo can't be sure that will continue, especially with further price hikes planned from the company to offset inflation. PepsiCo's size gives it multiple levers it can pull to protect its business that won't alienate customers. The company's broad portfolio allows it to tailor a store's product mix, depending on the shopper. But there's still plenty of unknowns in terms of what's going to happen with consumer behavior. prices throughout all of its divisions jumped 12% during the first quarter. The company's quarterly revenue increased to $20.2 billion from $19.2 billion a year ago. For the consecutive, second consecutive quarter, PepsiCo raised its outlook, forecasting revenue growth of 10% this year, up from 8%. PepsiCo noted this quarter that it's looking to smaller sizes, either in the packaging or how much product is contained inside. And here's the word to listen for, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't listen to any other word this hour, shrinkflation, where companies reduce the size or quantity of a product while charging the same price. It's nothing new, but the current environment has made it a popular tool for many businesses, especially those that make food and beverages. PepsiCo has already reduced the liquid in Gatorade bottles from 32 to 28 ounces. Tillamook, an Oregon-based dairy company, downsized its ice cream cartons from 56 to 48 ounces last year in order to keep the price the same. General Mills reduced the contents in its family-sized cereal boxes. Mondelez did the same for its Wheat Thins family size. Shrinkflation. Seems like you can't help learning a new word, ladies and gentlemen, when I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of Hello. Welcome to the show.
Pra tocar uma canção assim Para ouvir quando você chegar Pra fazer você gostar de mim Pra fazer você se apaixonar Pra pegar as flores no jardim Para ouvir sempre que faz calor Para refrescar num dia azul Tanto faz é uma canção de amor Tudo bem Não é bossa, mambo, rock and roll Ou samba, jazz Vai saber Pra tocar uma canção assim Para ouvir quando você chegar Pra fazer você gostar de mim Pra fazer você se apaixonar Pra regar as flores no jardim Para ouvir sempre que faz calor Para refrescar um dia azul Tanto faz é uma canção de amor Tudo bem Não é bossa, mambo, rock and roll Vai saber Pro silêncio completar o som Pra torcida quando grita cor Pra galera que só quer viver feliz Pra você que tem dançar no show Pra voltar ao tema no final Pra dizer tudo que eu tinha pra falar Tocar uma canção assim Para ouvir quando você chegar Pra fazer você gostar de mim Pra fazer você se apaixonar Pra pegar as flores no jardim Para ouvir sempre que faz calor Para refrescar num dia azul Tanto faz é uma canção de amor Tudo bem Não é bossa, mambo, rock and roll Ou samba, jazz
From Santa Monica, California, home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Sure love to meet her. Ladies and gentlemen, on this program, I've talked quite a bit about the difficulties that uh, we as humans are discovering or encountering as we try to bury the waste from civilian nuclear uses like your electric power. Secure that waste for the necessary period of time. In some cases, in the case of some byproducts of nuclear reactions, hundreds of thousands of years. We're good at that, aren't we? A nuclear waste storage site proposed in southeast New Mexico crossed a hurdle towards a license this week. A federal report issued this week found no environmental concerns in the construction or operations of the facility. Holtec International. They um, appear to be specializing in the nuclear waste disposal business. It's a growth business, I can tell you that. This facility in New Mexico would hold temporarily up to 100,000 metric tons of spent nuclear fuel rods from reactors around the country. And not the country, the county around Carlsbad. At the surface, not buried, you know, right up there where you can see it. Hey, that's those are nuclear things up there. Yeah, stop pointing, son. In a remote area near the county line, so you can run away (laughs) to the next county if anything if anything happened. The facility would serve as an interim measure because we don't have permanent repositories for nuclear waste yet. We've been doing this for how many decades now? This is, by the way, from the Carlsbad current Argus. Not some old Argus. Um, Of course, a permanent facility doesn't exist in the U.S. after the proposed one at Yucca Mountain was dumped because the good folks in Nevada didn't want it. You know, could get in the middle of the gambling and things. Holtec applied for a license from for the facility from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, which issued the latest report on its findings. It's going to ultimately make a decision on licensing the storage site at a later date. The uh, NRC said it recommended issuing the license pending an upcoming review of the plans for their safety to human life. Haven't done that one yet. We'll get to it. Based on its environmental review, the NRC staff recommends issuing a license said the statement. The uh, proposal drew uh, from the New Mexico state leadership. What do you think? Support? Not support? The governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, called the proposal economic malpractice. She worried it could risk oil and gas operations in the region, along with agriculture. Nuke versus oil! It's for all the marbles. Opposition also came from uh, Lujan Grisham's cabinet, the New Mexico Attorney General's office, which filed a lawsuit to block the license. Tom, 
block the license. Yeah. And the New Mexico State Land Office. The NRC repeatedly appeared supportive of the project and proposals like it after the commission issued a license to interim storage partners for a similar but smaller project at that company's facility in Andrews, Texas. That's a rural town at the Texas border with New Mexico. So if the wind blows the other way, the issue of that license, the issuance of that license drew opposition from guess who? Texas Governor Greg Abbott and U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, who both argued that the storage of high-level nuclear waste amid the oil fields of the Permian Basin could impede the fossil fuel industry. It's sort of heartwarming, isn't it? The uh, initial application for the license would allow up to 8,600 metric tons of the waste be brought into New Mexico via rail and stored in canisters extending 40 feet beneath the surface. That would be the first of 40 phases of the project. The mayor of Carlsbad supports it. He said it would bring economic diversity to the region because <laughs> it is heavily reliant on oil and gas. And the NRC's report proved that could be done with minimal environmental impact. Yeah, it's, it's waste, it's stored, it's a thing. It's a, it... And electricity prices across Europe are expected to rise as the heat wave sweeping the continent has crippled nuclear power output in France. This is from the British newspaper, The Independent. State-owned electricity provider EDF must reduce or halt nuclear output when river temperatures reach certain thresholds. That's French law. Ah, the French. Another round for the gentleman with the beard. Uh, yes, that's French law. This is to ensure that the water used to cool the plants won't harm the environment when it's pumped back out. Climbing temperatures in the Garonne River mean that production will likely be slowed at the Golfec nuclear plant in the south of the country. The uh, electric company EDF has six, uh, 56 reactors. It's an important source of energy across Europe. They're already operating at about half capacity because of maintenance work. Maintenance work. Well, why would you do that in the summer? Well, otherwise you do it in the winter. The utility provider has estimated the output this year will be the lowest in more than 30 years, meaning neighboring countries may be forced to find alternative energy sources. Really? What would those be? I've never heard of those. And finally, the Tokyo District Court this week ordered four former executives of the Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, to pay $95 billion in damages to the operator of the wrecked Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. This was reported by NHK, which is sort of the BBC of Japan. The ruling in a civil case bought, brought by TEPCO <laughs> and bought by TEPCO's shareholders marks the first time a court has found former executives responsible for the nuclear disaster. Court judge that the executives could have prevented the disaster if they had exercised due care. Due care, everybody. A TEPCO spokesperson declined to comment on the ruling. March a departure from the criminal trial 
ruling in 2019, where Tokyo District Court found three TEPCO executives not guilty of professional negligence, judging they could not have foreseen the huge tsunami, or even pronounced it, that struck the nuclear power plant. That criminal case has been appealed. Tokyo High Court will rule on that next year. The civil lawsuit was brought by TEPCO shareholders way back in 2012, demanded that the five former TEPCO executives pay the company 22 trillion yen in compensation for ignoring warnings of a possible tsunami. You don't want to be running TEPCO when the tsunami is coming your way. That I can tell you for sure. Clean, cheap, safe. Too safe to meet our friend the Atom. And in uh, other news from the business world, I'm sure you probably know by now, Elon Musk, um, the guy who runs Tesla and SpaceX, and uh, the Boring Company, which is supposed to be drilling a tunnel through parts of Los Angeles. Anybody driven in the tunnel yet? Hands? Um, he announced this week, well, he, he sort of semi-climaxed this week a story that's been going on for a few months now. He had offered or threatened to buy Twitter using mainly his uh, some of his Tesla stock to finance a $45 billion deal offered $54.20 a share for Twitter, four twenty. get it? And then uh, the market had a retreat, and that turned out to be way overpaying for Twitter. Unfortunately for Elon Musk, he signed a contract saying he was going to do that. And Twitter announced this week it was going to try to force him to live up to the contract following his announcement that he was going to uh, quash the deal, not purchase Twitter. His given reason is they failed to give him the information he sought on how many Twitter accounts were actually bots, that is to say uh, robotically controlled accounts, no real user there against which you could sell advertising. In, in entering into the deal, Musk had explicitly waived his right to due diligence. Nutty, huh? Direct from Musk CTV, this is your latest Musk Me Update, almost live. Late reports from Cape Canaveral SpaceX headquarters. The super heavy rocket launch scheduled for this evening has just been scrubbed. In a statement just issued, Mission Control says the problem appears to be related to a sighting of 420 bots in the immediate vicinity of the launch pad. The report didn't indicate whether the bots were mobile or stationary. Next update within minutes right here, where Musk News comes first. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart, smart world. 
U.S. regulators have ditched proposals to allow electric car manufacturers to offer a choice of sounds that are meant to warn pedestrians that the quiet vehicles are approaching. Electric vehicles produce less noise compared to cars powered by combustion engines. Some of us consider that a benefit, others consider it a safety risk. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration considered suggestions that buyers be allowed to choose their car's ringtone in 2019. This week, NHTSA walked back on it, quote, because of a lack of supporting data. There's, there's some data right there. The agency has chosen not to adopt a proposal which would have allowed manufacturers of hybrid and electric vehicles to install a number of driver-selectable pedestrian alert sounds in each vehicle they manufacture. That's what the agency said. The uh, feds require electric vehicles to produce a pedestrian alert sound when stationary, reversing, and in forward gear up to a speed of thirty uh, sorry, 19 miles an hour, Beyond that, the NHTSA doesn't deem a sound necessary because uh, at that point, tire noise and airflow will uh, warn you that something big and heavy is coming your way. However, since the regulations surrounding electric vehicles are still in their infancy, there was some debate as to whether this low-speed sound should be standardized or user-selectable. You might feel grateful that two industry groups, the Alliance of Automobile Manufacturers and Global Automakers, pushed hard for user choice. Their uh, statement, quote, Satisfying our, customer, our customers is a primary concern for original equipment manufacturers, your OEMs. Since one size does not fit all, neither will one alert sound for a given make, model, trim, level, and model year satisfy all those consumers producing all these same vehicles. Unquote. You might want to fire their press release writers. Aside from that, basically they argued that without a choice of sounds, customers would be put off buying electric vehicles. Nitsa noted that the groups provided no supporting evidence for their assertions. On the other side, a number of advocacy groups for the blind commented on the agency's notice, arguing for the choice of alert sounds to be narrow or standardized. American Council of the Blind said, quote, a distinguishable and uniform sound is necessary to assist the blind community in quickly identifying hybrid or electric cars. Uh, the American Council for the Blind added that sounds need to be recognizable as a vehicle, ideally that of a car engine, and that car owners should not be involved in the sounds selection. The Seeing Eye, which is also a... Uh, Organization for the Blind, for blind folks, said, For recognition purposes, it is important that all vehicles emit the same standardized sound, regardless of manufacture. The uh, vehicle industry groups were happy to have an unlimited amount of sounds to choose from, but the NHTSA, the, NHTSA, the regulator, nipped the issue in the bud. Similar concern led to uh, more than half a million Teslas being recalled earlier this year because of a boombox feature that could allow drivers to play preset or custom sounds through the pedestrian warning speaker when the vehicle is parked or in motion. And it's uh, deemed that to be to interfere with a critical safety system. Tesla was made to disable boombox when the car is in motion 
via an over-the-air update or a bot. This is um, this is something that's been in the in the works for a while now, finally coming our way. Subscription-based access to vehicle features. These are among the most unpopular ideas automakers have ever pursued, according to Jalopnik. But the industry transitioning into EVs and uh, therefore profit margins dwindle, according to Jalopnik. I didn't know that was going to happen. Automakers are coming up with creative ways to make more money off customers. Car companies are trying a subscription model. They've been talking about this for a while. BMW caught heat for proposing subscriptions for optional comfort features before now. Companies trying it again, this time in South Korea. <laughs> yeah. BMW did try and failed to get people to play $80 a year for Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Then, early in 2020, BMW rolled out a software update to its vehicles that brought new connected features. Among these were new connected car services. BMW was trying to sell as ongoing software updates like navigation and charging services for plug-in hybrids. Preview of the slow march into money-grab dystopia, having your car's features locked behind software that you have to pay to activate. A BMW representative explained the decision was motivated by low take rates on certain features like adaptive cruise control. You mean drivers don't want that? Now, BMW is going in on a feature subscription in South Korea, or a set of them actually, available for purchase through an online digital hub called the Connected Drive Store. Customers in South Korea will have to pay extra for even the simplest of features, like heated seats or seated heats. Customers in South Korea will pay the equivalent of 18 a month, $18 a month, $176 for a year or $406 for permanent access. <laughs> if you wanted a heated steering wheel, that's uh, $10 a month or $222 forever. Permanent access to Apple CarPlay, it'll cost South Korean customers $304. Enhanced engine sounds played through the stereo, $137. Even driver safety assistance features will cost you in South Korea high beam assist headlights which automatically brighten or dim the headlights depending on traffic that's eight bucks a month $183 for forever light switching see uh, automakers lose out on dealer service center profits from things like oil changes and routine maintenance because Electric cars don't need that stuff. Unknown whether BMW plans to bring those subscription services to the United States. But one question, why wouldn't they? Back in a moment. Direct from Musk CTV, this is your latest Musk Me Update, almost live. This just in from Tesla Control in the home of Low Texas. Reports from the factory floor indicate a new delay in the release of the Tesla Cybertruck. As the assembly line slowed to a halt, one foreman was quoted as saying, quote, 
it's the damn bots again, unquote. The bots had no comment. More before you know it from the home of the news that's not just breaking, it's musking. It's a fine line between faith and delusion. Confusion reigns And nothing stays the same We constantly change Isn't it strange Why do we change And it's a fine line Dream for Try out your fledgling wings First time you hit the ground You curse the whole damn thing But you'll get up again In time You know it's a From Santa Monica, this is Liz Show, and now, here's a bummer for you. It's news of the warm. Yes, I will. Thank you. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Okay, first the non-bummer. 
you know, just to, just to tempt you to stay tuned. The um, Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization, a respected Australian scientific research lab, says renewables remain the cheapest new build electricity generation option in Australia. Onshore wind and solar are the cheapest source of electricity generation and storage in Australia, even when considering additional integration costs arising due to the variable output of renewables, renewables such as energy storage and transmission. And uh, they project that solar and wind energy will get cheaper soon. They say the uh, war in Ukraine has resulted in fossil fuel energy price inflation, which flows through to all parts of the economy through transport and energy costs. Wind and solar are uh, the cheapest sources of electricity on the grid to a factor between 50 and 90 percent. That's what they say. On July 8th of this year, a glacier collapsed in the mountains of the Isik Kul region of Kyrgyzstan. You know it. It's right next to the other thing. That triggered an avalanche, little knowledge of this incident for two days until it was publicized by foreign tourists who witnessed it. These events took place at the Juhu Pass on the side of Central Asia's biggest gold mine, Kumtor. British tourists explained to a local news outlet that the ice mass melted off at the moment when the group of tourists was crossing the pass. Thanks to a lucky chance, the tourists had not yet passed the section directly in its path which minutes later was covered with an ice mass. The uh, glacier's disappearance, according to a local ecology and tourism professor, is a consequence of climate change due to the high air temperature and a, mic and a heat wave, which hit Central Asia last year, not a microwave. Large portion of the glacier melted, part of the ice collapsed into the valley. Just another... Another lost glacier for us. But now to the bummer. In a world ever more hungry for copper, a looming shortage could end green energy transition plans before they even get off the ground. This is from the Register, the British Tech Journal. Copper is so central to transitioning from fossil fuels to sustainable energy, says a report from S&P Global that worldwide demand is likely to double by 2035, no matter the scenario. S&P said it's unlikely the world will be able to meet that demand. The record high level of demand would be sustained and continue to grow to 53 million metric tons in 2050, more than all the copper consumed in the world between 1900 and last year. In a report last year, the International Energy Agency described a new energy paradigm slowly replacing fossil fuels, minerals, the most important being copper. It's described in the S&P report as the metal of electrification. Copper is used in electric vehicles, wind, solar, and battery projects. It will drive much of the increase in demand. Infrastructure upgrades like wind, sorry, like wide-scale deployment of EV charging stations will also uh, contribute. The use of copper in electrified versions of traditional products like EVs is a massive contributor to the rise in demand, the study says. 
Internal combustion engines of all sizes have about 24 kilograms of copper in their powertrains. Swapping those for fuel cells lead to a slight increase in copper, but swapping fuel cells for batteries is where things really start to scale up. A light-duty battery-powered EV powertrain requires 132 pounds of copper. Medium-duty battery-powered powertrain requires 306 pounds. Heavy-duty such vehicle needs 936 pounds of copper. Save those pennies, everybody. The obvious solution to this inevitable problem would be to open more copper mines. That would definitely help offset coming shortages. Those offsets would come too late. It currently takes 16 years on average to develop a new mine. You see? Meaning that a new mine seeking permission today would not become productive in time to accommodate the demand spike. That's S&P quoting an International Energy Agency study. Other metals, aluminum, recycling of copper, that won't be enough to meet the projected demand either, according to the S&P data. Copper spiked in price at the start of the COVID epidemic, yet like other industries in the epidemic, copper prices have now dropped to late 2020 prices, another indicator of wider economic contraction. If uh, the world makes the leap from oil to batteries, Copper shortages will also cause problems far beyond the manufacturing industries. The report predicts copper may emerge as a key destabilizing threat to international security, unquote. Oh, that. I guess, yeah, we really do have to save our pennies and turn them in. Here's a warm copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, news of the godly. Francis the Talking Pope told members of three religious orders this week they must have, quote, zero tolerance, unquote, for sexual abusers in their ranks, and they must report them to protect others. Yeah, this is new. (laughs) What year is this? Francis pleaded with them not to cover up the reality of clergy sexual abuse, his word, by transferring rapists to other countries. Yeah, they've done that. We are priests to bring people to Jesus, not to devour people with our lust, Francis says. He he can turn a phrase. And the abuser destroys, devours the abused with his lust. Zero tolerance, he said. Three years ago, he passed a new church law requiring priests and nuns to report abuse to church authorities, but not to police. This is his latest effort to address a problem that's affected the church for decades, according to the AP. Religious orders have had some of the worst records, in part because their diffuse structure outside the diocesan hierarchy has enabled abusers to easily move to different countries rather than face justice at home. Francis called out that practice, telling the superiors who run the orders, why Why would you let the inferiors run them? He t- told them, quote, you don't resolve this with a transfer. Off from this continent, I'll send him to another. No, Francis said. He was meeting with representatives of the Order of the Mother of God, the Basilians of San Josephat, and the Congregation of Mission. We don't hear enough about Jehoshaphat since he stopped jumping.
and a California priest who was defrocked in March after protesting the church's record on abuse, says he was removed from the priesthood simply for being too critical. It hit me harder than I'd expected, former Father Tim Steer, or Steyer, told the San Jose Mercury News after his removal by the Vatican was disclosed last week. Quote, I felt sad and angry. If I'd been raping kids, I wouldn't be thrown out of the club. Unquote. Well, if you're going to talk like that, we're going to keep you out. The former priest from Fremont, California, has been holding vigil for abuse survivors and the church's marginalized believers since way back in 2005. According to his blog, he was shaken after the 2002 bombshell report on clerical sex abuse and its cover-up at the Boston diocese was exposed. He's pushed for what he calls structural reform, which he says means include the excluded women, gay persons, abuse survivors. In 2013, the Vatican opened an investigation into his protests and his refusal to accept assignments at various parishes around the country after a local bishop lodged a complaint. He started releasing names of accused predator priests and was asked by the California diocese to stop. Releasing the names of abusers not only tells people especially survivors that the church is serious, but can also help those who have not yet come forward to have that courage to do so, Steyer told Catholic newspaper at the time. He told the Mercury News that he expected the Vatican to, quote, come after his collar, which, in fact, is what happened this year. His former Diocese of Oakland issued a simple statement this week wishing Mr. Steyer all the best in this new chapter of his life. News of the Godly. Ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Direct from Musk CTV, this is your latest Musk Me Update, almost live. Heartbreaking news just in from Full Self-Driving Research Center in South Reno. A test vehicle was in the final moments of a successful real-world driving routine when it was swarmed by approximately two dozen bots. The test car was not injured. No word on the bots. More before it happens here on Musk CTV. And now, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol III. Daylan Lausanne, Switzerland. Jim Thorpe has been reinstated as the sole winner of the 1912 Olympic pentathlon and decathlon in Stockholm. It's nearly 110 years after he was stripped of those gold medals for violations of strict amateur ru amateurism rules of the time. The International Olympic Committee announced the change this week on the 110th anniversary of Thorpe winning the decathlon and later being proclaimed by King Gustav V of Sweden as, quote, the greatest athlete in the world, unquote. And where is he today? The king. Thorpe was a Native American, as you may know. He returned to a ticket tape parade in New York after the 
games, but months later it was discovered he'd been paid to play minor league baseball over two summers, an infringement of the Olympic amateurism rules. He was stripped of his gold medals in what was described as the first major international sports scandal. Thorpe was uh, voted AP's athlete of the half century in a poll in 1950, but that's not quite gold. In 1982, 29 years after his death, the IOC gave duplicate gold medals to his family, but his Olympic records were not reinstated. Nor was his status as the sole gold medalist of the two events. Two years ago, a petition from a foundation dedicated to uh, his work advocated declaring Thorpe the outright winner of the pentathlon and decathlon in 1912. The IOC had listed him as a co-champion in the official record book. We welcome the fact that thanks to the great encouragement of Bright Path Strong, that's an English rendering of his Native American name, a solution could be found, said the IOC president. This is a most exceptional and unique situation which has been addressed by an extraordinary gesture of fair play from the National Olympic Committee's concerned, unquote. The um, Bright Path organization had contacted the Swedish Olympic Committee and the family of Hugo Wieslander, who had been elevated to decathlon gold medalist in 1913. They confirmed that Wieslander himself had never accepted the Olympic gold medal allocated to him and had always been of the opinion that Jim Thorpe was the sole legitimate Olympic gold medalist, the IOC said, adding the Swedish Olympic Committee agreed. The same declaration was received from the Norwegian Olympic and Paralympic Committee and Confederation of Sports, whose athlete Ferdinand B. was named as the gold medalist when Thorpe was stripped of the pentathlon title. B. will be listed as the silver medalist in the pentathlon Wieslander with silver in the decathlon. Bright Path, strong, commended the IOC for setting the record straight. So you don't have to live to see yourself get the records you earned. In the Olympic movement, you can get them after you're dead. Because it's a, it's a movement that we all need one every day. Now, quickly to the apologies of the week. I can't wait. We're so sorry. The Dutch government this week offered its deepest apologies to the relatives of the thousands of Muslim men and boys who were massacred in Srebrenica in 1995. That's Bosnia and Herzegovina, in case you forgot. Defense Minister of uh, the Netherlands made the apology at the 27th, commem yeah, 27th commemoration of the genocide at a cemetery in uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina. The international community failed to protect the people of Srebrenica the defense minister said, as part of this community, the Dutch government shares political responsibility for the situation in which this failure could have happened. We cannot take away the suffering, but we can do what we can do is look history straight in the eye. Unquote. 
Srebrenica was the biggest war crime in Europe till um, now, since the Second World War, a Dutch unit of soldiers was stationed there to protect Muslim refugees as part of a UN peacekeeping mission. In July 1995, Bosnian Serb forces overran the enclave, slaughtered about 8,000 Muslim men and boys. The defense minister said he can't imagine the deep fear and insecurity of the people who desperately sought protection. At Srebrenica, she said, the terrible memory of this genocide must not disappear into history, for your deep sorrow and your loss are forever present. They are here and now. She said only one party was responsible. One party was to blame for the genocide. Sorry. And that was the Bosnian Serb army. She spoke of the great powerlessness the UN soldiers felt, this includes the Dutch, when the enclave got overrun. ESPN's David Jacoby has apologized for running a segment on This Just In, centered around a fake quote from guard John Morant. John Morant, Jacoby, who'd already apologized on Twitter, issued an on-air mea culpa. Quote, we made a mistake. We attributed a quote to John Morant that simply that he simply did not say. It was an appearance on Bleacher Report. On behalf of the network, the show staff, and myself, I'd like to apologize to John. For our error, we will make hard. We will work hard to make sure it doesn't happen again. The quote was made up by a satirical news site called Ballsack Sports, and purported to have Morant speaking about Michael Jordan in a dismissive tone. Nobody does that. Yeah. The Sarasota, Florida Herald Tribune erred Sunday in publishing a guest column on our opinion page and website with the headline attacking proud boys does disservice to caring parents this is from the editor of the sarasota herald tribune a guest column had criticized the author of sunday's column and the editor felt it fair to give her a chance to respond we strive to provide a broad name range of views however the herald tribune opinion page will not provide a support a forum for the support of the proud boys an extremist group that promotes white nationalist views and which has been labeled a terrorist group by two countries. Our editorial process failed to keep this column from being published as it appeared, which did not meet our standards. We are adding additional higher-level review of the process for accepting and editing guest columns for publication. We will continue to publish varied opinions from across the political spectrum, but this decision fell short of our standards. We apologize to our readers. Signed, Jennifer Orsi executive editor. Beverly Hills cosmetologist Gina Bisignano told the judge she's sorry for participating in the January 6th Capitol riot with fellow MAGA diehards. Maybe not that sorry. Bisignano took a deal last August pleading guilty to six counts in front of a judge. He could sentence her to 45, uh, sorry, 41 to 51 months in federal prison for felonies, including obstruction of an official proceeding and civil disorder. But uh, NBC News obtained a recording of a call between the beauty expert, Ms. Bisignano, and other Trump supporters from this past January. The auto indicates she's not really all that disappointed in herself. In the conversation, she says she was clever in making her apology, 
but she remains adamant in her belief the election was stolen, her behavior was righteous, and she some regrets about pleading out. I said, Your Honor, I'm sorry for going into the Capitol, she says in the recording. I said, Your Honor, I apologize. He goes, Thank you, thank you. I said, You're welcome. But I didn't say what I'm sorry for. I'm sorry for being in a federal building and getting into trouble, but I believe what I believe, and everybody knows that. Unquote. More January 6th-related apologies. A Berkeley County couple in South Carolina, Berkeley County, South Carolina, that is, they pleaded guilty in connection to the riots, learned this week how how long a judge would keep them behind bars. A judge sentenced John Getzinger Jr. and Stacy Hargis Getzinger to 60 days in jail. That's a sentence 15 days longer than prosecutors requested. Also, three years of probation and 100 hours of community service. An FBI report indicated that four people connected the, uh, contacted the FBI tip line to report the couple traveled from Hanahan, South Carolina, to participate in the riot. A video existed of the Getzingers ed- entering the Capitol building saying, This is war! We're storming the Capitol! They spent 39 minutes inside, according to a surveillance video. At the uh, sentencing hearing, John Getzinger said he most regretted taking his wife with him. (laughs) That can be interpreted in a number of ways. Regrettably, we brought this on ourselves, he said. I apologize to each and every police officer who felt threatened that day. His wife also apologized to police and citizens and took full responsibility. I lost nearly everything, she said, including family, friends, her job, and her dignity. She said she's been ostracized from society in Charleston, South Carolina, that is. A man who joined the pro-Trump mob apologized to officers who protected the building after telling lawmakers that he regrets being duped by the former president's lies about election fraud. We saw that on television. And London's Heathrow Airport apologized for unacceptable service in recent weeks. Long lines, delays for those with reduced mobility and baggage issues, It's struggling to cope with 40 years of passenger growth in four months. The airport, which handled nearly 6 million passengers in June, said rebuilding capacity quickly was very challenging. Apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Just one more item from the Smart World Department. Disneyland Resort's 
Facebook and Instagram accounts. Yes, they have them. That's Disneyland, not Disney World. Disneyland right here. Southern California. They were hacked a few days ago with a series of inappropriate posts that were subsequently taken down. We worked quickly to remove the reprehensible content, secure our accounts, and our security teams are conducting an investigation. The Walt Disney Company said screenshots of the posts contained profane and racist posts made by a person claiming to be a super hacker here to bring revenge upon Disneyland. I guess they were trying to make it the hackiest place on earth. Thank you very much. That is going to end this edition of the show. Back next week at the same time over these same radio stations on your audio device of choice whenever you want it. And it would be just like me not saying the hackiest place on earth if you would agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. for this program. Playlist of music heard here on. Your chance to get Cars I Taught t-shirts. Lots of stuff to read and to watch. Why, it's a wonderland. It's harryshearer.com And it's all yours. No, it's not all yours. It's all mine. But you can go there. For free and everything. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. A tip of the show show post at the San Diego desk to Pam Halstead and to uh, Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO N.O. New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.